Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandma'scatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Monday, January 10th. The Missouri legislative session began last week, and the Kansas legislative session begins today. We'll take a look at the major issues to expect during both sessions this year. First up, Missouri. The state is deciding what to do with billions of dollars in federal pandemic aid. It's also redrawing its legislative districts and figuring out funding for Medicaid expansion. KCUR's Steve Kraske spoke with Jason Hancock, editor of the Missouri Independent, and Sarah Kellogg, a reporter at St. Louis Public Radio, on KCUR's Up to Date. Well, Jason, you know, legislative sessions come and go, but this one strikes me as as loaded up as any session in recent years when it comes to significant issues. Does that sound about right to you? No, absolutely. Usually these sessions kind of ease into gear. They try to, the first few weeks, there's, you know, committee hearings and there's some bills assigned and there's lots of pomp and circumstance. You know, very rarely do they have the type of pressing deadlines that they're facing this year to redraw the state's uh, congressional maps, to pass a supplemental budget for you know, federal COVID aid and also for uh, Medicaid expansion uh, to pay for that. There's, just, there's a lot of things that have to get done in a very quick amount of time and you, uh, that, that, that those deadlines are exacerbated because the Republican Party, at least in the Senate, can't seem to quit fighting with each other, which has just made everything a lot more complicated. And you know, Jason, lawmakers are creatures of habit, and getting off to a fast start is contrary to everything those good folks are used to doing. It's going to be awfully interesting to see if they can move as quickly as they have to move here. No, absolutely. And then obviously put on top of that, the fact that we're in the middle of another wave of COVID infections. So we gather 197 people in the Capitol, along with lobbyists and staff and journalists. And the fact that uh, last year we lost a lot of time because of uh, having to shut down because of COVID outbreaks, that could happen again. And that could complicate all of this as well. Well, Sarah, you just had the opportunity to interview Governor Mike Parson and his office in the Capitol about several issues, including the state budget. We're going to listen to a couple of clips from him. This first one is about the state budget. Set it up for us. What's he talking about here? Um, Yeah, I was able to to speak to Governor Parson uh, kind of on a session preview, and a bulk of it was spent talking about the budget, and even more specifically, the the billions of dollars that Missouri is eventually going to have to allocate from the American Rescue Plan Act. And so how he looks at it and how I'm going to set up this clip is he sees it definitely as as a multi-year endeavor and not something to maybe think about, you know, one budget at a time. So, So we have that clip. When you get up here in, the, in this process, everybody tries to do a budget for a year at a time, you know, and that's kind of the way you look at it. I think this is a unique opportunity that none of us have ever had. So I think you need to take a look and say, where do you want Missouri to be 10, 20 years down the road? What investments are you going to make right now that's going to benefit after we're all out of here? And Sarah, he's saying that because he, unlike any other governor in history, has two and a half billion dollars in his back pocket in federal COVID relief dollars to spend. That gives him an opportunity, as he points out, that governors typically don't have. Absolutely. Yeah, there's, like you said, over $2.5 billion to address here. 
you know, everyone has a wish list, you know, and we're going to get the governor's really during the state of the state address. But you know, he's already committed, you know, a little over, you know, over 400 million for broadband access. You know, he says ultimately it's going to be a pretty extensive list, and and pretty much anything, a lot of things that he wants to get done, he thinks can be touched by that money. A presentation from the Missouri Department of Economic Development listed tourism, workforce development, support to small businesses. You know, ultimately he said it's a multi-year endeavor and it shouldn't be rushed. And uh, Jason, he's making no secret of his interest at using this money to address a whole long list of needs that the state is facing uh, is something he wants to do. Again, to Sarah's point, we're talking highways here, health care, higher education, too. What's his thinking there, Jason? I think the big thing that a lot of Republicans in the legislature uh think about this money. And I think the governor shares it as well as they want to spend it on things that are going to have lasting impact, certainly, but they don't want to spend it on things that might create ongoing expenses. You know, they don't want to spend a billion dollars this year. And then next year, when the federal money's gone, have to find uh, and scrape and save to, to continue to pay that. So, you know, while he's talked about pay raises for employees, and he wants to get that done, there's been some hesitation when things have come up like pay raises for teachers. They don't want to create an ongoing expense that they're going to have to tackle in years to come. And so I think that's going to be where the debate is, because I think Democrats see this as something where they could pay for things like, you know, uh, the early childhood education, you know, uh, or child care services, you know, expanded social safety net programs. But those are things Republicans are going to push back on because, again, unlike building a road, you build the road, it's there and cars drive on it. If you create a program, you then have to fund it or cut it in the years to come. And that's going to be where I think the, the divide really comes. And again, Jason, he wants to uh, deal with at least a portion of the budget fairly quickly in this session to secure federal dollars uh, coming back to the state. Man, given this range of priorities to spend this amount of money, you wonder how it's possible for a General Assembly to move ahead in a united way on an issue like that. And that's the that's the kicker is the united way. I think, the you know, getting it out of the House, I think we reported this morning, there's, you know, talk of a five point three billion dollar supplemental that's going to cover things like Medicaid expansion. There's some money for public schools in there, some coronavirus relief funds. Um, but when you get over to the Senate, you're going to get into some ideological divides over things like Medicaid, whether you, we should be taking this money. There are some that just want to not spend the money. They think that it's adding to the national debt and that we shouldn't be, uh, as a state, contributing to that. And, and so I think you're going to see those debates play out um, in the next few weeks. When you talk about a supplemental budget, you're talking about sort of an addendum to the current year budget that's now in effect, right? Right. Yeah. You know, for example, Medicaid expansion, they did not fund it last year and a court ordered them to, to implement what the voters had approved in 2020. So now the program will run out of money at some point and they're going to have to pass a budget for the current fiscal year, uh, a supplemental budget in order to pay for people who are already starting to sign up now. Um, as far as for future budget years, those are debates that will happen. There's not as much urgency. They have a little bit longer. They have closer to the end of session, which ends in May, to get the, the, the next fiscal year budget completed, with, which is also going to have a lot of federal money in it. Um, but the supplemental is for money that we need for the current year because either going to lose it or we're going to lose a match or these are bills that they're going to come due and we didn't budget for appropriately when we passed the budget back in uh, you know, last year. Sarah, again, you, you can't help but wonder, once the General Assembly deals with the budget, once it deals with redistricting, 
you got to wonder, will there be time to deal with other issues that lawmakers want to get to in an election year? And many of these issues are also intensely controversial, like abortion. Is there going to be time for anything else? That's a really good question. That's a question that I've been asking lawmakers themselves. You know, I talked to House Minority Leader Crystal Quaid, you know, previewing this whole thing, and she wasn't really sure. You know, those are really big issues. And and I think that it is going to take up a lot of time in the beginning. Ultimately, you know, it is four months. You know, I think it is possible uh, to kind of answer your question on the idea of abortion. Um, I think we're going to see those bills for sure. You know, Representative Mary Elizabeth Coleman's bill is definitely the big one. It's modeled after one that was passed in Texas, which not only bans the practice of abortion um, when the fetus has cardiac activity, which is about six weeks, it also allow private individuals to sue doctors or others to aid people seeking abortion. So I think that's something that will definitely be around. <laughs> and and so that makes abortion, Sarah, and uh, you know, an issue that's going to get all kinds of attention, given how much uh, focus it's had in Washington at the, and at the U.S. Supreme Court in recent months. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think last year, that was, you know, after the, the realignment of, of the Supreme Court with the, you know, with Justice Amy Coney Barrett joining the court. I think that, you know, pretty much was the beginning of the race for a lot of state legislators last year to see what abortion bills they could pass to try to overturn what Roe v. Roe v. Wade. And so obviously it's very early with this particular bill. You know, hearings are only getting started next week, so I don't want to say, you know, whether or not it'll pass. But, you know, if, if, if it were, it could impact abortion providers, you know, in the St. Louis area, at least speaking, who send patients to Illinois. So I think that, you know, with this Supreme Court alignment, I think abortion bills are just going to continue to be filed and heard. That was KCUR's Steve Kraske speaking to Missouri Independent editor Jason Hancock and St. Louis Public Radio reporter Sarah Kellogg. Now for Kansas, where Democratic Governor Laura Kelly hopes to boost her re-election prospects with tax cuts. That creates a dilemma for Republicans who control the Kansas legislature. Typically, they're all about cutting taxes, but they're reluctant to give Kelly a big win. Jim McLean of the Kansas News Service reports that could make for some interesting political theater during this legislative session. Governor Laura Kelly says she's already made a strong case for re-election. My administration has been incredibly successful, uh, even while battling a pandemic. You know, when you look at it... Ticking through a rehearsed list, Kelly cites a host of accomplishments. A healthy state budget, an end to a court fight over money for public schools, a revived highway plan. Now she wants to do away with the state sales tax on groceries, something she says will save the average Kansas family more than $500 a year. That's probably my number one priority. But it could be a tough sell because it means giving up about $500 million a year in revenue. But Kelly says the state can afford it and her proposed income tax rebate, a one-time rebate of $250 for individuals, $500 for married couples. She says federal pandemic relief and an improved economy have the state awash in cash, more than $2 billion above what was expected. Beyond that, Kelly says she's hopeful because many Republicans have, at one time or another, expressed support for reducing the sales tax. So I'm hoping that they're being sincere uh, and that they will work with me. Ty Masterson, the Republican president of the Kansas Senate, is generally a fan of tax cuts. So he says lawmakers won't dismiss the governor's proposal out of hand. But he says the state shouldn't use COVID relief money to go on a spending spree. It's not unlike what we saw, you know, after the 08 crash and the stimulus money under Obama. You know, we had some significant revenues that came through that process, but you saw the cliff. You know, when the federal dollars ended, 
uh, so did uh, fun and games. Masterson says Republicans want to protect taxpayers from future tax increases when the federal money dries up. For starters, he wants to change the state constitution to say that taxes can't go up without a two-thirds vote in the legislature. This is a, a good year to do it because there's so much money in the system and it can protect us long-term moving out. But the governor says other states have tried that approach and run into trouble. I think it's a very, very bad idea. Bad, Kelly says, because it would hamstring future governors and legislatures in a crisis. Like the pandemic or the 2014 and 2017 court rulings that demanded more tax money go to public schools. Redistricting will likely be another contentious issue. Lawmakers must draw new maps, carving Kansas up into state legislative and congressional districts to reflect population shifts. The biggest fight will likely be over how to reconfigure the U.S. House District in the Kansas City area, now held by Sharice Davids. She's the lone Democrat in the state's congressional delegation. There are some issues, though, that could find Republicans and Democrats working together. Here's a Fonji again, long-range three from the left side. Sports gaming, for example. Lawmakers appear close to working out disputes about how heavily to tax it and whether casinos or the state lottery should handle the betting. This also could be the year that Kansas joins 36 other states in legalizing medical marijuana. Masterson says there will be hearings. Kelly says the votes are there if lawmakers make it a priority to work out the details. If they had the energy and time and focus, I think they could come up with something that that could pass. Medicaid expansion was first made possible under the Affordable Care Act eight years ago. In Kansas, it would give health coverage to about 160,000 people who are low-income but not disabled. But like in previous years, it's not going to happen in 2022. Republicans control the legislature and remain firmly opposed. But a smaller proposal stands a chance. It would expand Medicaid coverage, but only for new mothers, from the current 60 days to a full year. In the last two sessions, battles over the state's response to COVID-19 have reflected America's culture wars. Critical race theory could be this year's battleground. Republicans, Masterson says, want to give parents more say in what their children are taught about race and the country's history. They don't like critical race theory and the radical ideologies they say are embedded in it. It's those theories that burn books and tear down statues and and rewrite history. Kansas educators say they don't teach critical race theory per se, but that slavery and its legacy of discrimination need to be taught honestly in the state's schools. Lawmakers in more than a dozen states have passed or are considering legislation banning any discussion of critical race theory. For the Kansas News Service, I'm Jim McLean. The Kansas News Service is a collaboration of KCUR, KMUW, Kansas Public Radio, and High Plains Public Radio. It reports on health, the many factors that influence it, and their connection to public policy. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This podcast was produced by Byron Love and Trevor Grandin and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read more of our coverage of Kansas and Missouri politics, visit kcur.org. As always, you can hear Kansas City's NPR station live on the radio at 89.3 FM. Tomorrow, we'll hear from transgender people in Kansas prisons who say harassment and discrimination from staff and other inmates puts them in danger. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon.